0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com weightloss. Let's get at this. Half the children in this country needing surgery are facing wait times, which by far exceed recommendations for treatment. That was a story in the Globe and Mail earlier this week. This could have serious and lifelong consequences, Pediatric surgical chiefs of Canada speak about an immense strain experienced by pediatric facilities, including overcrowded hospitals, record emergency waits, and delayed diagnosis and treatment. This is for the kids of Canada. And this, of course, also mirrors the reality of healthcare generally across Canada, as adults as well are facing major delays in diagnosis, treatment, and surgical interventions. We're joined by Emily Grunwald, president and CEO of the Children's Healthcare Canada, and executive director of Pediatric Chairs of Canada. Ms. Grunwald, how are you?
1: I'm well, thank you.
0: Glad you could join us.
1: Thank you.
0: Dr. Alika Lafontaine is back with us, president of the Canadian Medical Association and the first Indigenous CMA president. Uh, Dr. Lafontaine, good to have you with us. And uh, Friday was National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, and here you are, the first Indigenous CMA president. We are making progress. Yeah, we absolutely are, and great to be back. Yeah, good to talk to you. Let's start with the kids. Ms. Grunwald. what are Canada's children facing, children who require surgeries and are being left to suffer? What's it like for them?
1: You know, I think every day matters um, in the life of a child, and Canadians imagine a health care system that will be there for their kids when they need, they need it the most. But the fact is right now, Many children um, across the country from coast to coast are waiting longer for essential procedures or services than their adult peers. So whether it's, for example, community-based mental health services, diagnostics, child development services, or surgeries, um, kids are waiting beyond recommended windows for intervention. And that has the potential, of course, for lifelong impact. How young? Sorry, can you say how, that again? How
0: young are they? How, how, you know, how Are they young are younger the youngest?
1: Oh, goodness. Well, in pediatrics, um, we care for children typically between birth and 18 years of age. So really, it could be anywhere along that continuum where children um, are waiting for essential services.
0: Do we have numbers of children or approximations? And is the situation worse in some regions of Canada than others?
1: Yeah, we do have some numbers. So, for example, right now, we know um, in mental health, for example, over 100,000 children across the country are waiting for community-based mental health services. Some of them are waiting as long as two and a half years for those services. And can you imagine being a child or or a caregiver, a parent of a a child or youth in crisis and facing that type of wait? With respect to surgical wait times, again, we know that um, there are over... So we measured in eight children's hospitals of 13, and there's over 20,000 children in those eight children's hospitals um, waiting for surgical interventions. And again, some of them are waiting longer than 12 months. So every day that passes beyond the window means that a child's condition might be getting more complicated. It might be more difficult to treat. Um, Those children could be waiting in discomfort or pain, and their outcomes are compromised. So these these issues matter, and and when it comes to kids, like I said, every day matters in the life of a child.
0: Twenty thousand kids.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a big number, and that's only about half of the centers reporting.
0: And you just touched on it. I was just thinking about that, the pain they must be experiencing, or the just the discomfort of of not being treated, maybe not being yeah. diagnosed. That's that's just an intolerable reality, isn't it?
1: It is difficult and it it impacts um, a lot of different aspects of their life, right? When you're in discomfort or if you're in pain, um, it's difficult to focus in an academic setting. It's difficult to to want to be in in a play date or to be attending different family events or, you know, participating in after school sports or extracurriculars. So it really has quite a wide range of impacts beyond just the physical health outcomes.
0: Yeah. I'm just thinking of the confidence level that could suffer as well because kids are influenced by everything that happens to them. We all are, but children don't have a long life experience to draw on. And, uh, and, and confidence is something that, um, that is fragile at the best of times. So if you're a child and you're suffering and struggling, yeah, it's – Dr. LaFontaine, when you hear this, I mean, you're aware of this, but when you hear Ms. Grunewald just repeat what I'm sure you're aware of, what, how do you react to that? Well, you know, we, we've we
2: known for a long time that there's been a, a proportion of kids that have been on wait lists, and depending on where you look, you know, um, a lot of numbers are that a third of kids on wait lists are waiting outside of the window. That's now gone up to close to two-thirds. And, you know, when, when I listen to what's being said about this, I, I think about the families. You know, like taking care of a sick child is a very, very heavy responsibility, and so that impacts the parents. That affects their ability to work and participate in society. It also affects the other kids in the family. You know, so so one person that's sick in your family and having to take care of them impacts a, a whole family unit, and that affects communities, that affects you know the economy. And I I think as you start to look outward, you know the the scale of this problem
0: becomes much more clear. Yeah, here's the fundamental journalistic question: Why?
2: You know, I I'd say that it's from lack of investment. We we hear a lot of talk right now about reform, but reform tends to look at doing things the same way, but moving around the puzzle. Post- in reality, we we haven't invested in these programs that have a long lead up to to building up. I mean, I'm an anesthesiologist. I I work on on kids that are that are less than 10 for sure. But uh, there are subspecialties that require additional training beyond what I even went through during my my years of medical school and, and residency. And so, it, it takes a long time to build up capacity for these things. And Although we've known that these problems have kind of hovered around, it's really in the last couple of years that we've seen it spike up to levels that are now intolerable. And I I think this is why you now hear calls for addressing these sorts of of problems. But it's really because we didn't design our way into the future that we
0: knew was coming. Okay. COVID bears some responsibility, I'm sure. But we can't use it as an excuse, can we?
2: No, I I don't think we can. COVID was really a moment that stress test our system, you know? And I, I think we should have confidence in Canadians that our health system survived COVID. Um, but in in the same sense, we we can now see clearly the, the cracks and gaps that exist. You know, all these decisions that have happened over decades are what really led us to this crisis. And we, we can't use the same sort of thinking. You know, when a hospital's running at 120%, what that literally means is that it has 20% more patients in it than it has capacity. You know, this is the reason why patients are, you know, being assessed in hallways and being assessed in waiting rooms, why there's mm-hmm. no privacy, you know, why in some cases there's no dignity in the evaluation of, of you know, medical conditions. And, you know, when it, that, that moves into children, you know, a part of our society that, that we've always committed to protecting, you know, providing additional support, you know, we, we can really see how, how desperate we are right now for reinvestment, but the right kind of reinvestment in healthcare.
0: mm mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about hallway medicine and that's something that is very difficult for a patient for their families for their friends for the for the medical community who is administering the patient but let me ask you to just uh, take us a little further a little deeper into the system Uh, Dr. LaFontaine. So here we are second day of October 2022. What's the situation facing adult patients in this country today as far as diagnoses of health issues and uh, medical actions such as surgeries are concerned? Is it better than it was at the beginning of the year? Is it worse? Uh, Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Where are we?
2: You know, I, I think it's, it's apparent to
0: anyone who's been in the system that, that
2: wait times are, are far beyond what's reasonable right now. You know, we, we have adult patients who are seeing in emergency rooms waiting 20 plus hours. I, I believe that's the same sort of, sort of experience for a parent coming with their child, coming and being seen in a pediatric emerge. You know, they're, they're not spared from this either. We know that surgeries had a precipitous drop when we closed down capacity in the system to redirect it towards dealing with acute patients who were sick during the pandemic. You know, now that that's coming back, we we still have these waves. And, you know, Emily talked about in uh, the news story that was published in The Globe about how there's these cycles within medicine where you have peaks and valleys of demand. But the the reality of what's happening right now is that the demand doesn't seem to be valleying. You know, it it just seems to be at its peak at all times. And, you know, it's a a new reality that we're moving into. Now, the the really wonderful thing is that we have providers and people in the health system that are there for the right reasons and really want to do well for patients and by patients and I think if we have investments and agreements with you know our 13 health systems across the country we can lean into creating a better environment but that's going to need us to do things different than what we did in the past and you know we've advocated for decreasing fragmentation through cooperation across the country you know I I still believe that that's that's the solution to the problems that we have right now
0: yeah you can't making the same mistake over and over and expecting the situation Mm -hmm. to improve that's insanity Absolutely. So, Ms. Grunewald, what you told us earlier is so disturbing. I've just been thinking about this. 20,000 kids waiting for surgeries and all the other kids who are waiting for diagnosis and waiting for treatments for non-surgical interventions. But they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. Do think uh, Dr. LaFontaine said just before the break, it's time to do things differently. What do you suggest? How do we get past this? How do we return to some sense of we have it under control?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, My organization's actually partnered with UNICEF Canada and CIHR, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, about a year and a half ago to think about, you know, what do we need to do differently to turn the tide? Um, I'm not sure if your listeners would know this, but Canada actually ranks 30th out of 38 international countries when it comes to children's physical health and 31st out of 38 countries with respect to their mental health. Not good. I think that's a pretty sobering (laughs) statistic. Not good. So, you know, how do we how do we turn the corner? Um, Our metrics have been dropping for several years. We've gone from a top 10 place now down to 31st um, out of 38. So, you know, these four organizations, we engage stakeholders across the country, youth, parents, researchers, teachers, social service workers, healthcare professionals, you name it, um, to develop a plan. Um, And it really depends on some interlinked priorities. What we've learned is that. Um, you know choosing where we 're going to like a piecemeal approach to making investments hasn 't served us well and is not going to get us the outcomes that we want to measurably improve how things look for kids, so you know we're imagining a strategy that has three prongs we need to think about how do we how do we enable better beginnings for moms and newborns, how do we give families the best start possible, and we need to start thinking about those sickest children who require hospitalized care, how do we advance precision medicine um, in those institutions. And then for the kids who are living with chronic disease or neurodiversity or disabilities, how do we, how do we transition them from vulnerable to thriving? So we, um, we believe strongly that the time has come for the federal government to show leadership and develop a pan-Canadian strategy for children. And it would be a strategy that has specific measures, timelines, um, accountability met- um, metrics, so that we can start to see progress consistently across the country in all domains of children's health and well-being.
0: No time to waste, right?
1: No time to waste. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it.
0: If a child or Dr. LaFontaine, an adult, is diagnosed with a life-threatening illness like cancer, in today's world, on this 2nd of October, 2022, that still doesn't mean that child or that adult is going to receive timely treatment, or am I mistaken?
2: No, no, you're you're spot on there. And I I think just to maybe even take a step back to to what was said, you know, we talk about doing things differently. We've never leaned in and actually created these structures where we could not just have a strategy but true collaboration. You know, I, I work and live in Grand Prairie. I'm two and a half hours away from Fort St. John. A person gets worked up, whether an adult or a child, often when they cross that border and come to Alberta, we have to repeat all the tests because we can't actually access the information.
0: That's ridiculous. So
2: uh, imagine the amount of duplication that occurs, the amount yeah. of redundancy.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, and then piled on top of that is, is increased burden on people who are providing the care to do things other than care itself. For sure. You know, there, there's a lot of things that, that we end up doing within the system that... Not only waste patients' time, but don't bring them closer to what they need when they see providers. Do you
0: also? Does it also happen in the healthcare system? I'll ask you both this: Where the healthcare professional says, "I, I know what needs to be done." It's not exactly according to the book here, but I'm going to do what needs to be done. Does that happen?
2: You know, we we call that in, in medicine workarounds. You know, okay. uh, rules are written a certain way. How do we work around them in order to provide best care? And what do we know for sure with medicine that's true across? All research is that when you have a strong relationship with a provider mm-hmm. where you can trust and communicate with them and they see you as a patient and hear you as a patient, you almost always have better outcomes. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talked about insanity. We, we keep on focusing, I think, in this country on how to co- cut costs at the expense of everything else. And if you're talking about leaning in and doing something different, you know, if we can build that experience around that relationship, you know, create more time for people to do the things that they do well. We can move beyond a lot of these discussions that that we're currently trapped in into a new way of
0: providing healthcare. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm in the wheel when I talk about healthcare in this country. We yeah. just we've been in this wheel for years, and all we do is get it just turn around, 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 around. We go, and uh, I can tell you, six months from now, we'll be back in the wheel when we we'll talk about it again. but are you uh, are you optimistic that things will change for the better? And I mean this because I'm just wondering whether you run into the uh, status quo uh, opposition. We've always done it this way. There's always been a piece of paper on top of the pile, and there all, will always be a blue piece of paper, and don't t- ask me to change it to yellow. Uh, do you run into that sort of thinking? Um, I, I think,
2: or, yeah. sure. I, I think I we think, do, hey? Yeah.
0: Ms. Grudenbulton, what do you say? I,
1: yeah, I agree. I think we do as well, but, um, you know, I think there's growing awareness that we need a plan for Canada's kids. Oh, I there had better the opportunity be. last week to speak to the House of Commons, they are, they have, um, they're undertaking a study on children's health, and it was remarkable to see support across all parties that status quo is not an option, that we must do better, yeah. um, and it starts today. So I am optimistic. I know that change takes time, but I do believe that this is an all-hands-on-deck approach, right? To, to Alika's point, we need to lean in. Everyone has a role to play, whether it's organizations like mine, organizations like the CMA, or different levels of government. Yeah. This is. Uh, this needs to be a shared priority if we're going to make a meaningful
0: change. Well, I can only, uh, I'll end the segment with this. Imagine if it got worse. We can't even go there. We can't afford to go there in more ways than one. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green.